good morning and welcome to the November 2021 ADM Farm Direct Fertilizer Report. This monthly conversation is intended to help you stay on top of global fertilizer prices and buy in bulk at the most opportune time. I am your host, Zach Jans, and today we got a whole list of people we're going we're gonna to have on the docket here today. Uh, first off, we have Brian Henry with ADM BQCI. He's going to give us uh, an update on what's going on in the grain world. Uh, after that, we'll start with BK Morris. He's going to give uh, a, a great update on what the fertilizer world's doing. And then after that, Jake Nieder will be uh, having a kind of a wrap-up conversation, kind of bring everything back in and uh, see if we can try to figure out some recommendations for this crazy market that we're in. Brian, if you're with us, let's uh, let's get off with the grain side and see what uh, see what you got to say. Tell you what, I'm not hearing Brian. BK, are you uh, are you available to start? Then we'll uh, we'll kind of work backwards here a little bit this morning. I, I am here. Thank you. This is perfect. BK with Fertilizer Week and uh, CRU. I'm going to give you a uh, very international flavor uh, this morning to sort of tell you what, where we think things are going with the Chinese uh, pro uh, export reduction and production reduction. And also speculation about just how far uh, the, the Russians uh, intend to go or not go with, with uh, their announced reduction. Uh, here's what we're seeing on the uh, nitrogen side broadly. Um, we uh, the, the Chinese export barriers means they're out of the market and the strong Indian demand that they've been supporting is still there. Uh, we uh, have supply concerns uh, have eased somewhat in, or eased substantially actually in the U.S. Uh, after the damage done by Hurricane uh, Ida. And despite everything else, uh, import volumes for urea and UAN have been very strong. Um, U.S. Uh, uh, S&D is just plain more comfortable. Um, U.S. prices uh, are probably going to continue to be, for nitrogen that is, are probably going to continue to be disjointed. Uh, versus the uh, international market, and uh, usually uh, the the best way to view that in the in the broadest of terms is uh, noting that uh, we uh, we trail uh, the uh, uh, non-U.S. market in terms of returns available to the Middle East uh, by uh, over a hundred dollars, basically about one hundred and thirty dollars uh, uh, per metric ton. So the urea we're going to get, other than some program tons from Oman and from Saudi and Qatar are likely to be coming from uh, North Africa and Russia. Uh, the, the, on the phosphate side, the same issue uh, that's, that's, that's affecting uh, and tightening the supply of phosphate to the rest of the world is the Chinese uh, curtailment. And, and just to, to uh, emphasize this, that, that curtailment that they're talking about in China is very real. Uh, it's driven by uh, energy tightness over there. And while they are confident they can provide uh, fertilizer to their own population, or pardon me, for their own demand, they also want to be confident that they pr are providing enough uh, energy for heating over the winter. Uh, so as a result, our expectation is that Chinese uh, urea and phosphate exports will not return to uh, uh, normal levels, if you like, until June of 2022. And in uh, the case of phosphates, that's a 25% reduction uh, in the global export supply that, that's out there. Um, so uh, that's sort of the, the, the bigger issue on, 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 DAP, and, on DAP and urea. Uh, when it comes to urea pricing international, uh, we've already talked about how we are uh, far below returns available to the Middle East. Um, I would point out that if you look at the U.S. price, uh, uh, the CFR price into the U.S. Gulf versus the CFR price uh, into uh, Brazil, we are actually pretty much neck and neck right now. So for those tons that are out there that are better off coming to the U.S. rather than to uh, going to India, we're actually in, in a very competitive position. And, and we're not massively concerned about the shortage there. Uh, based, having said that, of course, the, the prices are, are the high prices that are being paid currently are, are a good big part of that reason. Um, 
in terms of the phosphate side, we are trailing uh, the Brazil market by uh, about ten dollars uh, for MAP, and uh, again, that's not a that's not a huge number, but it does mean we're still there's no I don't have any expectation for a decline in U.S. prices versus versus the rest of the world. Uh, again, probably through June of next year when the Chinese exports uh, come back. Could they come back sooner? Sure. Uh, are they going to come back in time uh, for the U.S. spring? Almost certainly not, is our expectation for now. Um, the how are uh, uh, how will the rest of the world fill this gap uh, from from the uh, Chinese curtailments? Well, uh, Modern still faces technical problems. Uh, the, the new uh, Saudi plant, that's been the new Saudi plant for a couple of years now, it seems like. Um, there, we don't have uh, much optimism that they'll be able to raise their production rates to uh, the, the, uh, the boilerplate or the, uh, the expected capacity until, again, around the end of the first half of 2022. Uh, Russia has some limited ex export, uh, or export capacity that they could kick in. Uh, probably the most positive news on a global basis for phosphates is that uh, Fosagro will add uh, acid and MAP uh, production in 2022. And that should start coming online, uh, uh, you know, in the second half of next year. Obviously, that's not coming here uh, due to the uh, uh, countervailing duties, but we uh, it'll certainly help rebalance the uh, the global market and make the uh, and you know as these things work their way around the world, it should make things a lot more stable. On the potash side, uh, obviously we get the vast majority of our product from Canada. There are no problems, any significant problems there. They have come back. Uh, with production to replace uh, the problems at Esterhazy uh, very rapidly. Um, and I think that explains why we are actually uh, substantially cheaper than Brazil. The, the, uh, the, the price into Brazil uh, is about $50 higher than the price uh, at the U.S. Gulf uh, for potash. And uh, so while, again, the price is high, the, 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 the benefit of that is that we are, we are well supplied. Um, in terms of... Uh, uh, U.S., uh, you know, what we've seen uh, for, for U.S. imports, uh, I'll, I'll go over it again. Uh, DAP imports uh, f uh, to the U.S. are higher January to September than a year ago. Uh, U.S. MAP imports um, are, are neat. Uh, but on a, on a, uh, when you measure uh, NP, NPS imports, uh, for the U.S. over over the you know since uh, comparing it say back not just to last year but all the way back to 2017, uh, current expectations are actually relatively uh, flat. In other words, we our import overall of NPS products should be uh, in line with expectations. So I am that's a shorter and faster than I usually do, but I thought it would be better if uh, since we're coming into a holiday, there just isn't as much activity uh, in the U.S. market. So I would thought I would. Uh, uh, simply leave it at that and uh, take a pause and I'll be happy to take questions. Bye-bye. Awesome. Thanks, BK, for that wrap-up. Um, instead of going to Jake right away, we're going to go back to Brian Henry. Uh, again, Brian's with ADM BQCI. Um, Brian, are you with us to give us a, a, grain, a grain update and try to figure out how to decipher you know, higher fertilizer costs? Are we going to get any opportunities to sell some sell some better prices on grain here? No, you okay? Perfect. Sorry, everyone. I've got uh, got to be out of the office today, waiting on results of a COVID test. So I'm uh, doing this from home, and I apologize from that for that. Uh, as Zach had mentioned, I do manage uh, Benson Quinn Commodities. That's an introducing broker through ADMIS. Uh, we are owned by uh, ADM and work out of the uh, Minneapolis office with many of these fine folks. In terms of the markets, we've seen an awful lot of everything here over the course of the last uh, couple of months. Uh, and uh, for that matter, uh, over the course of the last year. Touch on corn first, and it just feels like, uh, in terms of the old crop corn, it just feels like the market's got a nice base of support here. The domestic piece remains intact. 
expect ethanol margins to remain quite good here. Uh, that's uh, kind of a Robin Peter to pay Paul type of situation because part of that has to do with uh, relatively strong uh, energy prices and uh, those strong energy prices are part of the influence on uh, the input concerns here going forward. However, uh, from a standpoint of uh, old crop values, it sure feels like uh, they don't have a lot of downside uh, in front of them. That said, the funds do carry significant long positions, and the funds may turn around and uh, the funds may turn around and sell uh, some of this position, uh, if for no other reason, to kind of clean things up ahead of the uh, new year. Part of the reason corn's at the values that it's at are the prospects of uh, better export demand. And I believe that demand's out there, though we haven't, uh, over the course of the last couple of months, we haven't seen real good uh, export demand. Early on, there was a nice pull from China. There was a nice, a really nice pull from Canada. And I expect both those, uh, well, I should put it this way. I expect the Chinese poll comes back here after the first of the year. And I believe the uh, Canadian poll for corn is going to be with us for quite some time. The part I'm not sure of and the part I believe is the uh, wild card is I'm not entirely sure how well uh, the the rest of the Pacrium uh, countries are covered from a corn standpoint. If you look uh, not just at futures, but look at cash, there is uh, there there's uh, definitely an advantage to uh, buying corn for folks that uh, need to use corn in the feed ration uh, or what have you. Uh, that said, it uh, it's by no means uh, cheap at this point, so uh, we always have to be a little bit uh, a little bit cautious of. Uh, Markets correcting in a quick manner. I go back to uh, the law of large numbers, and even a relatively small percentage move is uh, awfully, awfully significant here. Looking towards uh, the new crop, uh, what I hear is an awful lot of uh, people getting field prep work done. I presume most of that's come to completion at this point. For next year, I do get the impression that a lot of people went out and uh, and purchased inputs. I do think that uh, the economics for beans are still going to look better than corn when we come into the spring. And where the USDA essentially has uh, old crop ending stocks at uh, $1.5 billion, uh, with the demand we're seeing right now, I think you could make a case that old crop ending stocks come in at 1.25. And for that matter, uh, at that point, you very likely uh, <clears throat> argue for an increase in corn acreage, which I'm just not sure is out there at this point uh, when we get into the uh, 22-23 uh, marketing year, I think you'd be arguing that we probably need an increase in corn acres. And at current values on the base of uh, 22, I'm just not sure that uh, economically works in that manner. So uh, to answer uh, part of Zach's question there, I do think there'll be opportunities to market uh, corn at a little bit higher value than that. That said, if you are spending the type of money people are spending on some of these inputs, I don't think uh, it's a bad idea to put the pencil to paper and lay off some of that exposure for the fact that uh, high prices typically are the cure for high prices. In addition to that, you we will eventually get into uh, South American production. Now, keep in mind, the bulk of South American corn production comes in on the second crop uh, planted in Brazil. But you could look at that story and it's not, uh, it's not out of line to believe, that, uh, to believe that South American corn production year over year could be up 30 million metric ton even more. So uh, if you're uh, in the camp that, uh, if you're in the camp that they're gonna improve what they've done from last year on production, which was a pretty significant failure in Brazil, then of course uh, the potential to the upside is uh, limited to some extent. 
um, I'm still in the camp, uh, hands in my pockets, uh, waiting for this corn piece to kind of come together. The first key I'm going to look for is whether or not we see uh, the export demand that's helped us get to this level um, materialize once again. And the second piece is going to be what do we find out of uh, South America initially on beans and early corn for Brazil, uh, corn for Argentina. And then ultimately the big stick is very likely going to be the corn production uh, for the second crop of corn, the safrina crop of, uh, of Brazil. And to put that in perspective, uh, with Brazil's failure uh, last year in raising a crop, uh, that really kind of opened up what I estimate to be about a 600 million, uh, about a 600 million bushel hole in uh, in global uh, corn that uh, would be available for export. So that's where I have hopes on uh, old crop for uh, this year in terms of corn. But uh, again, go back to the law of large numbers and the fact that we have to mind our P's and Q's on this type of stuff. Because uh, with the money that's required in agriculture anymore, uh, there's, uh, if you mess it up, there isn't, uh, there isn't a whole, whole lot of uh, ways to recover. Uh, from a bean standpoint, bean market, very, very firm right now. A lot of that, I believe, is domestically driven. With the soy meal having done a missile shot here over the course of the last uh, re really only three or four days, I'm looking at a situation here right now where uh, uh, I've, I've probably got to put uh, some focus on what the U.S. is allowed to uh, sell ahead of uh, Brazil putting out an offer. One of the things that did soften up the bean market was uh, China coming in and starting to buy uh, fairly significant amounts of uh, beans for uh, uh, late geese and, uh, and through January. And that isn't that common. But the Brazilian, uh, with these prices, the Brazilian exporter was able to get the, what feels like the balance of their old crop beans bought. And uh, they have confidence in being able to execute that type of activity. So that's uh, over the course of the last couple of days, uh, maybe last week, we've started to see a little more interest from China. And I'm not entirely sure we're going to be able to do the amount of exports the USDA believes we'll be able to do at this point. So uh, we might get in a pocket where uh, the domestic demand remains pretty firm, but from a global demand, we're always on the cusp of potentially increasing uh, soybean uh, ending stocks for next year. In addition to that, or the reason uh, I, I'm probably leaning a little less supportive beans is I do believe there's an increase in bean acreage uh, ahead of us uh, next year. Uh, the economics on it right now would indicate that's the case. However, those economics do have a do have the potential of changing here uh, over the course of the next uh, four or five months. I uh, The other factor that uh, makes me want to lean a little bit negative uh, beans at, at this point, and I've made a pact with myself that uh, for the most part, I just don't go short beans. Once in a while, I'll go long beans, but I don't go short beans because if you're wrong, it's awful. But uh, from me, uh, from a production standpoint, the big stick on beans will be uh, Brazil and their their uh, earliest crop of beans. And right now, I think the USDA has got them at the 144, 145 uh, potential uh, 8, 9 million metric ton increase from uh, the prior year. And frankly, with the way the, the weather is setting up right now and it's early, it feels like the potential to be bigger than that is there. So uh, um, I, I do think from a hedge standpoint, from uh, at times outright uh, sales uh, standpoint, if your intent is to uh, plant more beans, and I doubt that's been decided entirely, if your intent is to plant more beans, uh, I do think there's some spots in here where people should be either locking uh, hedges on H2 HDAs 
or uh, in some instances, just plain going out and getting uh, just plain going out and getting some cash sales on. Uh, what would I look at for downside in beans? Uh, right now, I'd have to say it's limited, simply because I believe that energy component reduces the risk of uh, either corn or beans sliding back to normal. However, uh, if the uh, if at one point or another the energy component fails, uh, you know I I think you could be uh, I think you could be a eleven fifty to eleven seventy five on old crop beans and uh, probably eleven to eleven and a quarter on new crop beans without uh, some type of issue in uh, South America. And then by the time we get to the point where we're looking at what could be put potentially planted in the U.S., um, you, you start picking up a significant amount of acres. And uh, where you look at current uh, current ending stocks, right now USDA's got them at 340, probably going to 380, maybe 400 million. You start picking up a bunch of uh, acres on beans for next year. You could be arguing for a 500 plus million bushel uh, ending stocks number, and if that takes place, uh, there's no reason to be above 11 bucks uh, energy component or not. Just touch on wheat here a little bit. Uh, that is one fickle market. Uh, looks like there's awfully good opportunities to uh, get some uh, hard winter wheat sold. And uh, looks like the potential for that crop is uh, is pretty fair at this point. Uh, from a standpoint of uh, spring wheat, uh, in terms of old, it looks a little pricey at this point and probably argues for some more demand. But uh, it just doesn't feel like it's got a lot of room to break here to the downside. So I'll leave it at that, Zach. I hope uh, at least some of that made sense. Yeah, Brian, I think it, I think it did. I don't think there's, uh, it, it's just, we're trying to paint this picture. Everybody's trying to digest this information as, as we go into the, the last six weeks of the year here and, and a lot of decisions start to get made. You know, we're, we're just trying to figure out, I guess, Jake, where, what recommendations can you give us on fertility and, and what direction should we be looking at going forward from an MPKS standpoint? Yeah, it's this is a tough one, Zach. Uh, as, as you guys know, because we're we're at such high prices, and I think to paint the picture, this, this is this is what I go through to figure out how I want to position us here at ADM uh, for for the spring season. So when I look at where DAP is selling at on a CFR basis globally, one of the most recent trades was into Pakistan, and it was the. Uh, it was out of Morocco. It was Moroccan DAP to Pakistan, and that freight, we know what that freight is, but that's an FOB number. So the Morocco sold $900 a ton FOB. When you add in the vessel freight, now keep in mind this vessel freight that I'm using is the cheaper vessel freight compared to where we have been, but let's just, let's just call it $25 in vessel freight, which is below the current market. Um, that That's an 839 U.S. short ton delivered to the NOLA uh, to the New Orleans Gulf location. So today we're trading at 7.35 on on NOLA, maybe 7.50, depending on where the numbers at on a DAP basis. That's it's in the hundred dollars a ton discount to the global market price that the globe is paying for fertilizer. And and here's the thing that's also really tough to figure out, Zach, is, is fourth quarter is the time when usually uh, us here at ADM, we're, we're being begged to take cargoes. People are positioning. They're trying to manage liquidity through the winter months. That's not the case this year. Um, this What BK touched on, and I, I want everyone to understand the big change in this year that, that that's going to drive a lot of the answers to your questions, China as an exporter is out of the market. And and if they remain out of the market, which it's our belief they are, then that has taken off a lot of global supply, both on the, the phosphate side as well as on the urea side. That is why the globe is buying the tons that normally would get long in the Western Hemisphere and taking them into the Eastern Hemisphere where their their markets are starting to prep and stage for their seasons. Um, we're seeing cargoes from Mexico go to Australia, cargoes from Tampa go to Australia, cargoes from Morocco go to Australia, that they're heading into high season, um, into the Asian island markets, which would normally all be served out of China, and usually you'd have a lot of that Chinese supply headed to Australia as well. 
that is essentially changing the liquidity picture for producers and allowed them to get a longer sales book on than what they normally would have, which is where we would normally find downward pressure during this time of year, which usually spurs the buying activity that we're all looking for. Whether it's urea or whether it's DAP, the liquidity picture is much different this year. The other thing we have to take into account when we think about nitrogen specifically, and, and we can't forget it, all of the downtime that occurred during June, July, August, September at these big nitrogen facilities, that nitrogen molecules that normally would be produced in storage somewhere in the United States in the form of urea or ammonia and ready to be sold for this spring season or for the fall application season. That's not there. Inventories are lower here in the United States. We're having less imports come in because of the potential duty restrictions on UAN. And so even on, on the nitrogen front, we still see a tightness in supply. Now, nowhere in here are we calling for a shortage. The market has time to balance it, but it's going to be at a price. We are going to have to go above world replacement prices to call on the tons necessary here to, to balance the, um, the demand for the season that will be coming. The other way to balance the demand is that we just outright don't apply it. I'm sure a lot of you are going through those questions and thought process too. How much do I reduce back? How much do I cut back in application? Um, I, I'm not going to pretend that I know what you will do, and nor will I go out there and, and speak to that. But I will say this. We, we are factoring in some demand destruction in our models, and we try and calculate what we think will happen for the spring. And, and with that being said, and you see we're trading discount to the world, we're maintaining a long position on urea, on phosphate, on, on potash, just because we're trading discount to the world and we, we know there is some liquidity still coming at us. So Zach, that's my recommendation. If, if you don't have coverage for the spring, um, a lot of folks will think that it's better to wait. And what we're seeing on the liquidity front, the global front, and the move that we need to see prices go up to call on tons here into the United States, I don't agree with the decision to wait and get your inputs locked in. If you can't make money buying your inputs, then yes, you shouldn't do that. That's not the recommendation here. But waiting and hope is not a strategy and never has been. So that, that, that's kind of my recommendation. The one sleeper product that I want to call out on attention to is when you look at ammonium sulfate and consider the value of nitrogen in it and the value of sulfur, it still remains undervalued relative to the other commodities. I expect that product to have more upside as we move towards the spring season. And again, if you haven't locked in your AMS, that one still feels like a good opportunity to lock in your AMS for the spring. I want to touch on one of your comments you made and just to kind of ask you a broad question. Is it, is it fair to say that, that as we look at this picture going into Q1 into Q2, which would be our spring season in the United States, is it fair to say that it's not necessarily going to be a, a product issue, more or less a logistics issue, if we continue to see kind of the quote-unquote can get kicked down the road from from locking in inputs or locking in pricing on this product? Is it a fair I, assumption to say that, that logistics is going to be probably the driver in, in, in a lot of this? Yes. Out of our mouths, you're not going to hear us say there's a shortage. We are going to tell you that it's going to be tight and there's going to be logistics issues. But at a price, there will be the ability to get fertilizer here to the United States sufficient for the corn crop that we're forecasting to be grown. I, I find it irresponsible for people to run around and say that there's a shortage at this point in time. There's tightness and there's low inventories, but the plants are producing and they are, they are running. So um, if there's further downtime, then I could be wrong in that statement. And that's something we have to continue to monitor. Jake, I also want to touch on one other point, ask you a question regarding kind of this plant downtime. Can you, can you just give the audience a little bit, just a rough idea of what downtime truly means from a tonnage idea? I know we've talked about it very briefly, but I think it'd be a good thing to kind of lay out the, the amount of tons in the downtime that, that's been talked about. Yeah, and, 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 and so, so here's an example. Um, and and I, I'm going to get these wrong by a couple hundred thousand tons. <laughs> so it's a rounding error here. But you pick on one of these big plants in the middle of the United States. And, and they're producing, call it 1.5 million tons of urea annually. So you divide that by 12 months, and they're producing 125,000 tons a month. And some of them went down for three, four months 
So that takes a lot of urea out of the market. Keep in mind, some of that was was in the form of ammonia. Some of that was in the form of UAN. So to put in perspective, every time one of these plants goes down, that's like two to three cargoes not showing up here into the United States. Now, there are some smaller plants in the U.S., and, and they, they matter, obviously, in balancing the supply. They may not have as big an impact. But the plants that were down this year were the big plants. And, and there were a lot of them were down with the turnaround. So something we continue to monitor. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I just kind of wanted to try to paint somewhat of a picture from the from the tonnage that we're talking about here. It isn't it isn't just a couple thousand tons here. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of tons that that pretend that didn't really hit the hit the market for that matter for that time frame. So, producers, when their efforts to try and catch up on some of this, um, and they're behind not only on urea and UAN to some extent, but also DEF have been upgrading as fast as they can. And that's part of the reason why we've got such high ammonia costs in the U.S. versus the rest of the world. Um, we're number we're number one, nothing to cheer about on, on ammonia costs. Um, uh, but that that's part of the knock-on effect of the uh, of the reduced uh, import availability for the other for the non-ammonia products. You know, BK, that's a, that's an important point to 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 bring up, and and I know that all of us can do the natural gas uh, price look up here in the United States, look at it and say, well, these producers they could produce it for a lot cheaper price. It's going to come down. I should wait. You really got to look at it on a global basis, and and Europe still being one of those high price locations. Um, and and yeah, the plants are running again, but it, they there has been shutdowns. And we are headed into the winter months, so that's the, that's the wild card that could continue to drive this nitrogen market up further from where we're at today. Am I saying that you should expect it? Not necessarily, but I am saying, look where we're at relative to the global price. We still have upside from there. That's why my recommendation is leaning towards getting self-covered for the spring. Thanks a lot, Jake. Thanks a lot, BK, and thanks a lot, Brian, for for going through that that uh, that update for us uh, this month. Um, I'm going to put a wrap on this, but after the wrap, we'll definitely be on for questions. Um, I believe it's star six to unmute yourself uh, to ask questions. Um, but that is a wrap for the ADM Farm Direct Fertilizer Report for November 2021. Uh, please join us for our next report on December 15th. Of 2021. Until then, if you'd like to learn more about ADM Fertilizer, please go to admadvantage.com slash fertilizer. And again, uh, we want to thank you for your business. Um, we realize it's been a it's been a challenging time to market grain and buy fertilizer. So we do want to again thank you for all your business that you've done with ADM here in, in the past year. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again next month. Again, if you do have any questions, I, I believe it's star six. Jake, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, but we'll definitely be on for questions here. So, yeah, good morning. Um, so you, you've been talking about all of these shutdowns around the U.S. and around the world on on these uh, nitrogen production facilities. Uh, what what uh, what drove the uh, reason to shut all of these down in uh, in a normal um, you know in a normal normal year where they'd be running? Uh, I, I realize that maintenance is an issue, but but uh, I, I have to I have to question why uh, you know why why would they shut down when they know they have uh, all of the all of this demand coming uh, going forward. Good, good question, caller. What I would what I would say is they, they'd announced these plans and turnaround shutdowns well prior to any run up in price. It's definitely not a, a conspiracy theory on part of the producers. If you recall back in 2020, COVID restrictions were much greater, and and to bring in a maintenance plant, it was looked at as a potential risk and exposure. So a lot of these producers made the decision to push turnarounds into 2022, and they didn't take the bigger turnarounds that they normally would have on an annual basis that would have been shorter. So that therein was one of the reasons why you had most of these plants take turnarounds in 2022 because they minimized and decreased or didn't do turnarounds and shutdowns in 
2021 in an effort to not bring in maintenance crews and risk COVID exposure. So that was the real reason why they were longer turnarounds and bigger turnarounds. Now, the reason they didn't come up is they had continued maintenance issues. Um, now, I can, I can speak on behalf of some of them. There were some really big problems they ran into when they did the turnaround. One of them had to fly a boiler in on a 737 into Nebraska then to take it to the plant because the boiler failed and they couldn't get the plant started up. Those are all high dollar, out of the question uh, situations that they normally don't plan for. And, they, and the reason they, they did that is because the economics pay for it to do so. Every day they were down, they were missing making money, even at the prices we were at four months ago. And, and that's not near the run-up we have today. Four, you know, two, three months ago, you could have taken two, $300 off the price of, of all nitrogen products. And they were still trying to get up and run. They just had to finish the necessary turnarounds that they, that they had. Now, beyond that, that's what they've shared publicly and, and what we know. But uh, they missed money every day they didn't run. All right. Well, I, I was just curious. It, it sounds suspect to me. So. Fair, fair question. Fair question. Very, very fair question. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Anybody right, else have you. any questions? Right. True to say that they're up and running now? Yes, it is true to say they're capacity? up and running now. Yeah. To our knowledge, yeah. BK, have you heard anything different on that that they've announced? No, we don't have anything new this week. The only plant that remains a question mark is uh, uh, as to how well it's running. It remains Mosaic's uh, Faustina ammonia plant, um, simply because they they haven't um, addressed it 100% in the public. In public. Yep. So yeah, the, the two global plants I know of that were having a little bit of production issues were were over. In Saudi Arabia, they had their ammonia plant fire, which that one's now, I believe, up and they're running again from that. But then they've struggled to get up to full rate on their new expansion. There are some issues there with the rock quality, but but again, they are running again. So even on a global basis, I'm not aware of plants being shut down other than those European plants that were not making money uh, during the gas spike for a period of time. I have a couple of questions regarding UAN. Uh, how does the supply of UAN look going into spring? Yeah, that, that's one of those where I, the one comment I would make on UAN, uh, my, my opinion on UAN is that, that it's probably going to run tight, and that's a product that we could run out of. Now, why I'm not saying there's going to be shortages on fertilizers is because there should be sufficient urea in place to balance that. But if I were a typical, uh, you know, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana farmer that, that usually uses UAN, I would uh, ensure that you have your supply locked up. And, and I think that what you're going to find is some of your top dress supply could come in the form of urea. Um, and and that's, that's what, what you think it's going to take to balance the market. I guess I Go should ahead. mention one. Saskatchewan, eh? so I was just wondering, yeah, like far as Canadian supply goes. Like. Well, so so here's an interesting one on Canada too, and it's it's solving for that total nitrogen molecule, and and it matters a lot even to our, our friends here in the states and, and and to Canada. So normally Canada is exporting about a, a million tons of urea into the United States um, because it's a net exporter of that urea product. What you're seeing is Yarabel Plain for a little while has struggled on, on running. They've struggled on availability. And we're seeing a little bit of tightness on UAN up there as well as some tightness on the urea. We're, we're now seeing normal Canadian buyers looking to the United States to bring tons from the New Orleans market into Canada, which tells me that market is running tight. And, and so same thing there. Uh, uh, the liquid's available. There's a liquid there available to be purchased today. Um, it is tighter in supply because of some of the turnarounds they took, and so the inventories were not as large. And, and, and so, I, again, I think that what you may be challenged to do is have to switch even up there to your urea to balance out your nitrogen equation. Okay. And one more question, if you don't mind. Um, I know everybody's talking about high natural gas prices and stuff for fertilizer. I was under impression or been told in the past that don't worry about gas because we got long-term supply agreements. So 
what happened this time? Like, I mean, is the gas not locked in and five, ten-year contracts that shouldn't possibly affect the price that much, or is it just the demand? Yeah, that, that that's a good question, and and I'll I'll admit I'm at the edge of the diving board relative to my knowledge, or maybe the deep end of the pool rather. I, I'm I'm not a gas trader, and I don't know what these plants would have locked in at. What I do know is when you looked at forward strip natural gas to go lock it in and and lock in your margin, you were paying a premium relative to what they are paying on a day to day basis because they were getting offered discounts because natural gas had been so long here in the United States, so it didn't behoove producers, at least in the state, to go lock in natural gas in five and ten year supply contracts because the price on the board was higher than what they're paying. And so they, you know, think about it from like a grain perspective, they're getting a discount on the basis um, and we're buying it cheaper than what they could have done in a forward contract. Now, that's not really the issue, though, on a global basis. The issue is in Europe. And I don't know what those producers do, but the European gas price is the one that really spiked. And that's the one that we're keeping an eye on. So why does that matter to a, a guy in Saskatchewan or a guy in the middle of Iowa? It's because we are competing globally to balance nitrogen. And we're competing against the five other major consumption markets. We're competing against India, Brazil, Europe, um, <clears throat> and China as well. China's taken themselves out of the game for competition and said, we're just going to keep our own. We got enough. We'll keep our own. We're out. The rest of us are now bidding up the prices to try and balance that out. The European producers could not make money a, a month and a half ago at the gas prices why they spiked. So, so the ones that shut down were definitely ones that didn't have long-term contracts. And not all of them operate with long-term contracts. The ones that did, that may be the reason why they continued to run. But um, it, it's a great question. I don't know why they don't do it, but it's, it's, uh, it is a good question. I think there's just some commentary there I wanted to give to hopefully add some color to what we're seeing around us. Yes, I got a question. Yeah. Um... What's your feelings on humic and fulvic acids? Do you guys get into those at all? I'm just asking what's your opinion on them and stuff like that. Boy, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I was looking to see if, if Greg Whitehead happened to be on this call this morning or not. He would be kind of that resident expert. The only reason why I ask that question is, and there's a lot of stuff being said out there that you don't even have to need some of this fertilizer if you got you making fulvics down. Instead, but the way this fertilizer prices is, you can get by a year or two without it. That's why I'm asking this question: what they think the fulvic acids and humic acids are going to do. I think we owe you a follow-up on that, and, and I, I promise by next call we'll have a better better person on here to comment about the, the humic and the folic acid. There's a lot of things out there, though, that I think a grower can look at, and, and one that I would come back to I feel confident about is that's proven with university research is on our nitrogen, are you using a nitrogen stabilizer? That right there is going to help you... Um, I think with the efficiency use of your fertilizer, so as you look to balance your budget and the and and consider the usage potential or the increased uh, efficiency of the fertilizer, that may be a way to to help you. I know that a lot of people will kick me if if I'm suggesting that you would apply less by using a nitrogen stabler, and I'm not really suggesting that, but at least you'll be capturing all the value of the fertilizer you're putting down by using that nitrogen stabilizer, and that's backed up by university research. On the humic front and the acid front, we're hesitant to dip into that because there's a lot of different opinions out there, and there's not as yep. much yet university data. And, and so we'll try and bring to you some of the data to share with you because we don't want to get into that area of, of, of selling something that we, we don't know anything about. Um, 
we know there's another option out there is our sugars as well, and, and that's an option to help bump up yields, and those are available out there. ADM does have a product like that. But, um, you know, those, those are all things that we're, we're working with universities to try and to prove so that we can be a little bit more uh, forthwith with that data and how it might help affect the crop. No, we definitely, uh, we'll definitely deserve a, deserve a follow-up on that. And I got a note down uh, and, and your phone number. We'll definitely reach out to you. So I appreciate that. I have one more question. Um, you touched briefly on ammonium sulfate. Uh, what about ammonium thiosulfate? Um, what is the supply situation and or availability? Is it along the lines of UAN or related to UAN or... How should we yeah. think about getting our ATS? Yeah, Jake, if you don't mind, I I can take this one. Go ahead, Zach. Yeah, so ATS has has been one of those one of those products that's been very 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 hard to come by from a pricing standpoint. Um, I talked to talked to a a, a a buyer of ATS yesterday, and, and, and their main concern was that they they're not getting offered any of the of the cost structure at this point. You know, there's there's ammonia that goes into making ATS and and they can't lock in a long term a long term price. They're kind of going week by week, and so they don't really know where their costs are. To be honest with you, on ATS. Is there some out there for sale? Yeah, there there is in certain in certain marketplaces. There is ATS for sale. Um, I mean, it, it from what I can gather, it's somewhere in that between four and five hundred dollars a ton. Um, it, but it's been very very difficult to find, and it's been very difficult to get any any sort of you know any sort of tonnage out of anybody any producer. They've been very close to the vest, and and a lot of it had to do with last year's cold stretch. Um, you know, they, they, the position they were in, they were, they're having to shut down and, and they, they just got to be the point where it was uncomfortably oversold and then supplying that ATS to the marketplace is very, very hard to do last year. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it feels like that market's tight today. Uh, I'm not going to deny that. I think as we get into December and January, I, I, I think we'll come out with a, with some sort of number that we're going to get from the producers themselves and hopefully have that supply for you for the, for the spring season. Thank you. Um, I know it's kind of a crystal ball looking thing, but, I mean, does this look to be a long-term issue, as in multiple years with fertilizer, or do I think uh, demand destruction and stuff that, you know, fertilizer comes back for the 2023 season? Are we looking for, like, multiple years of this? Yeah, it's, a, it's one I definitely was thinking about last night and this morning. I, I saw an article that a, that a company posted about Europe uh, reducing fertilizer rates or having a goal to reduce fertilizer rates by 20% in the next uh, six to seven years. Um, you know, good question, and, and, and I, I don't know if I have an answer to that. What I will say is that the biggest driver to the global market being tied as the lack of Chinese exports. We know for a fact that China comes back to the market in June. What we don't know is will they again, when we get to September, October, still be running on low inventory, that they'll go out of the market again. If that's the case, then what we'll probably see is a pretty big yo-yo effect of, of some opportunity to buy uh, some tons out of China for the globe, We'll see prices correct, and then we'd see it go back up again. And when China disappears from the market, we're, we're discovering that the moves can be quite volatile. Um, I'm not at a, pin, uh, at a point where I'd be comfortable giving a recommendation for the fall and say, hey, you need to start looking to book next fall. That, that is not at all where we're at, and nor, nor would I, I feel good about that recommendation. I do think there'll be some correction in prices, but it's likely after we get into – the, the planning season in Brazil in that May, June, July time frame when we see how the U.S. does and how Brazil does on a consumption of fertilizer. Okay, thank you. BK, any rebuttal to that or any other thoughts? Do you see anything differently out there? 
Uh, the short answer is no. We we know the Chinese, as you say, are coming back in June. Um, yeah, I guess the other uh, well, person could reasonably ask, well, will they, is it possible they'll come back a little sooner? Well, we're probably if 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 that's the case, we're probably talking days or weeks, not not months. <laughs> um, the, the will it repeat the following year again? If they can't shore up their energy position uh, to meet their other needs, uh, then yes, it could definitely happen uh, the following year. And even such a uh, you know, as we as I noted in the call earlier, there are 23 or 25 percent of global export uh, availability on phosphates. It's it's hard to get around that. <laughs> uh, so again, I certainly agree. One wouldn't want to go long because the for the fall for the pardon me for the fall 2023. Uh, because uh, who knows what will, what will change by then. Uh, but uh, it's it's certainly, uh, I think, something that's gonna, uh, uh, gonna, going to be there, both on the urea and the, the phosphate side. The, the impact, it seems to be, has been uh, bigger so far on the urea side. Uh, most of the urea capacity uh, you know, runs year-round, runs well. You don't get market-related um, uh, 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 curtailments, although that's unlikely for any product right about now. Uh, so that when we see uh, uh, the high prices there, and when we see what the rest of the world is paying, uh, the, you know that reflects uh, very much on the on the China, uh, anticipating the Chinese situation. Um, so I, I can't give you a positive outlook. And the CF's call uh, for Q4, uh, pardon me, for Q3. They they had a uh, thirty you know three months prior to that they had said well they expect it to be a you know the the, the extreme tightness to be um, uh, an uh, issue for the for twenty twenty two calendar uh, and by that I interpreted it to mean certainly through the spring of next year uh, and and it may or may not affect the fall this last call they said they thought it would be an issue for twenty twenty three as well so take that for what it's worth. Thank you. Anybody else have any more questions? I tell you what, if not, again, thank you, thank you, thank you for the questions and thank you for uh, for joining our call today. And again, want to thank you for doing business with ADM here over the last year. Um, with that, we'll be ending our call. Thanks a lot, everybody.